Welcome to episode 63 of The People on K-Chung 1630 AM. I'm Ben White. And I'm Matthew Timmons. On this episode, our guests are David Pagel and Ian Muirhead. David Pagel is an art critic who lives in Los Angeles. He writes regularly for the Los Angeles Times. He is a professor of art theory and art history at Claremont Graduate University. And he's an adjunct curator at the Parish Art Museum in Watermill, New York. And I like the distance between things. It's like, no, you made it, you're the artist, I'm the critic, I'm gonna talk about it, the reader's gonna read it, and there's space between all of us, and part of the power of the conversation comes out of that difference, and that space, and that otherness. And we're not, you know, we're not all the same, and, we, and everyone has different views, and that's good. And I think when it all just gets mushed into like culture, it's just like this morass of, of bad entertainment. Ian Muirhead is a Los Angeles-based artist via Chicago, where he ran NFA Space. NFA stands for Not Fucking Around. And I, I go back to um, the idea of the prompt. It's a social possibility, not a social responsibility. You know, the politics of the work is the experience of the work, and then those things, those conversations can come out of it. But I don't think it's my mission to make environmental art. And at the end of the show, we're going to hear a song from L.A.-based artist Annie McQueen. The People features the voices and ideas that make up the cultural landscape of Los Angeles, the West Coast, and beyond. It's like a broken record, magically repaired. David Pagel and Ian Muirhead, welcome to The People. Yeah, welcome, guys. Thanks. Happy to be here. Thanks. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. Uh, So, Ian, about a month ago, I took my class to your studio, and um, we started looking at your stuff, and I was really engaged with the conversation that came out of that. And the stuff you were working on was basically garbage and recycling. And could you say a little bit about um, what was going on in the studio and, and how the conversation spun out of that? <laughs> garbage, huh? Um, <laughs> yeah, waste, um, refuse, like these are terms that uh, I feel like um, can be switched. You know, it's, it's sort of... Uh, it's Octavia Butler said waste is a human concept. Mm-hmm. And so I don't actually consider anything that comes into the studio waste, mm-hmm. even if it's, you know, uh, um, uh, the packaging or the, the, the part that um, isn't immediately used. Mm-hmm. It doesn't get thrown away. Um, yeah, only... so give, give the listeners a, a visual, what we were looking at. Yeah, so if you walk into the studio wrappers, right now, mm-hmm. um, There are gabion baskets. They're large kind of gridded metal um, boxes and um, configured in a a symmetrical geometric form. That's what you'd be looking at when you came in. I think that um, I'm definitely trying to question what, you know, that term waste and kind of try and put that farther back in the conversation. You know, if it's the first thing that comes up, then it's... Um, I, I want that to be a question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So most of that stuff was kind of a byproduct of, of making paintings, of making drawings, of making art? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, but it's um, byproduct gives a sense of time that it's kind of done and it needs to go away. For mm-hmm. me, it, it functions more like composting, mm-hmm. that it's um, just moving on to its sort of next function. Mm-hmm. So um, I have the studio set up as sort of um, ecology is probably a good word for it, but it's basically um, spaces that um, have a situation that um, has a focus, and then there's a peripheral system that's happening as well. Mm-hmm. So there are things that are happening kind of that are framed that are happening in the focused area, and then there are things that um, there's a system happening in the periphery. So these things that um, kind of don't get immediately dealt with in a, a direct sort of uh, conscious way get um, dealt with later in another system that gets introduced into the space. And I, right now I have about four systems that I kind of cycle through to kind of make these um, peripheral things become primary things. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of constantly flip-flopping in a... From like primary system to secondary to tertiary or... Um, I haven't got gotten to three yet. Okay. I don't even... When it's mm-hmm. beyond... I, I think of it more of like... Um, 
like a practice that flip-flops figure ground relationships or like, you know, that considers both what's in the frame and in the periphery mm -hmm. um, as like dependent upon each other. Mm -hmm. So in a can, similar way to like figure ground. Can you say a little bit more about composting? Because I always think of that, you throw all your trash into this big sweaty heap and then yeah, it I'm makes... Yeah, I'm kind of assuming all <laughs> of you are knowing. I mean, and, it, and it makes something that then um, other life forms spring out of. So right. it's like, it's, it is something it's... Something yeah, it kind of not... breaks down or comes apart into essential material mm -hmm. that then becomes food for uh, um, new things. Mm -hmm. And would those new things be new works? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So you do finish works? I do finish works, but they're configurable. Mm. Yeah, the, the work, um, it's contingent and con like based on what's around it, what's in the space, which is a general way to talk about, I guess, any work once it's like in an exhibition format. But like um, the works themselves kind of function with um, multiple outcomes possible mm. and, and often situation specific. So... It's not to me. It's not that they're they're unfinished. Um, it's just that they're um, staying in this state for this time, and then they will with with the uh, the likelihood that they'll change in the, in its next state, you know, in its next place. Mm -hmm. So and it's kind of it's built. It's like a mathematical function, right? Like it um, it has multiple. Uh, answers. It's not a one answer thing. It's just the answer for that moment. And then it's the answer will change. It stays kind of within the form of that equation, but then it... it, it kind um, of coming out of Smithson and entropy or where, where is it coming yeah, from? Yeah, but I like Smithson uh, entropy um, with the outcome of emergence at the other end instead mm -hmm. of it all coming apart and, you know, mm -hmm. uh, sort of... I, I wouldn't call Smithson like nihilistic, but it's not mm -hmm. optimistic enough for me. Uh -huh. I think the people that Picot picked up on it were pretty interested in that side of it. And I think his early stuff is much more kind of like loony spiritual transcendence. And would you throw your lot in with loony <laughs> Loony spiritual I mean, I yeah. certainly have that background. Uh, I mean, yeah. Well, uh, that's, yeah, that, tell us about that because I was going to ask because there's many different ways to create ecosystems that sort of feed into other ecosystems and uh, like you're talking about, but why specifically with something that someone might uh, characterize as garbage or trash or waste? I think I've been uh, kind of, I have a special relationship with um, disaster uh, <laughs> or uh, 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 <laughs> this kind of um, idea of a system coming to an end and a new system beginning. Um, my parents uh, raised as Jehovah's Witness. I was born and raised a Jehovah's Witness. Um, I stopped doing it when, when I was about 17 years old, but it's like that kind of um, way of looking at the world is sort of hardwired into how, like, I experience news and especially news about, um, you know, end times, you know, giant natural disasters, famines, wars, like these kind of um, things that are signs leading up to, like, a giant... The, the apocalypse. End. Yeah, yeah no. the apocalypse. Yeah. I mean, that religion, is, it's um, evangelical in many ways, although the politics aren't the same as evangelicals. They're actually... Um, try and stay out of politics, but um, and you guys don't have a rapture, right? There is a rapture. Oh, you do? Well, it's called Armageddon, and right. and, and, and it's not me, guys, but it's those guys. <laughs> sure, but, of course. Um, just it's important that I clarify that at yeah. this point because it gets it's a lot of kind of culty baggage that comes with it, in no my doubt. opinion. But um, yeah, like all those are signs that like the apocalypse is imminent and that there'll be a divine intervention, and then certain people will move on and kind of deal with this disaster and rebuild from it like a new system, a new earth. So like I'm really, I think like now I look at that as a really fascinating mythology or story and like kind of way of um, interpreting uh, having other meanings for things and, and kind of using that information. But, um, and, but and when it's you were become young, a system. it was yeah, not, you, not, you not so interesting when you're eight years old. It was really mm -hmm. literal for me. Yeah. And I, and I believed it yeah. up until I, you know, got it to be of an to, age where I could question critically and I wasn't happy with how the answers were coming to my critical questions. And, and then you rejected it. Yeah, I felt like that went was... went off on your own. Yeah, college really helped with that. Uh -huh. Art Institute of all places, of course. But how did becoming an artist come out of that? Or um, did it? It did. I mean, when I was young, uh, you know, I, we would have to go to three meetings a week for um, two and a half hours at a time, study books in between. Like, that study was put primary over school study, mm -hmm. um, college was discouraged. Um, I survived it by, 
kind of um, there's a, there was a lot of illustration and uh, kind of pairing of in the in the text themselves there was a pairing of um, the, the kind of vision of what this might look like along with like kind of borrowed from current events and um, so I was already starting to draw these things and like creating this kind of world for myself. It was a safe place that I could go to kind of work through these things kind of mixed also with like average, probably um, child creative pursuits, like drawing dinosaurs and looking Mm -hmm. for fossils and things, which all Mm -hmm. kind of tied into that too, which started my questioning of it. But um, yeah, like art was the safe, it was the one thing that didn't get shut down for me. It was like a place I could go and, um, and kind of sort through it. It was my little world. It also helps if you claw your way out of a belief system like that, which some of us at this table have also done. Oh, good. Um, it helps. It like once you do that, uh, it helps you re. You're in the habit of reevaluating everything that you believe, and that is a form of criticality in a way, or it, yeah. or it's a good practice for for criticality. I'm glad you bring that up too, because I think that that was a real. Um, uh, bonus with going to art school and especially for me the art institute like criticality is so tied into being an artist and i was so starved for criticality like real critical discourse when i was growing up um that it it, you know i I got more than i could ever hope for by going to art school um but you didn't feel that you had fallen into a new religion in some ways i did i mean and i did that again with martial arts but we can get into that later but um Yeah, I think that, you know, there's these trends that kind of cycle through the uh, art education system in particular schools. I I actually needed what I was getting at Mm -hmm. the time from the Art Institute, like... um, In terms of, like, self-reflection, self-analysis, self-criticism? Flexing the skills of being able to... Like, one of the great things, I think, about growing up Jehovah's Witness was this ability to or like this this constant need to kind of look for meaning under the surface of everyday events. Mm-hmm. And so this it sort of nurtured what I think would end up being for me at the Art Institute, like real conceptual thinking, you know, looking for patterns in thought and how those manifest. And it was an interdisciplinary program, how that manifests across multiple kind of media and how those things inter, uh, intertwine. Mm-hmm. So um, if there was a religion there, I bought into that. Um, mm-hmm. But it also helped me break down my... Um, dualism like i was really thinking in ter- terms of black and white right and wrong you know um good the and binary, bad as yeah. they would say mm-hmm. in yeah. the old art school religion yeah. yeah yeah and so um it, it it helped me start to understand the values in between like the gray area mm-hmm. so and yeah. at the beginning of our studio visit last time you you talked about um kind of awareness and being consciousness conscious of everything going on with the stuff you're using could you say a little bit more about that do you remember yeah, I mean, it, it was a, there's a, a heuristic or a rule that kind of guides the whole practice right now. Mm-hmm. And it kind of makes sense in hindsight, as a lot of things do. But um, seek to feel the forces we participate in all the time. And what does that look like? So that's kind of my rule. It's mm-hmm. like... Can um, you say that again? Seek to feel the forces we participate in all the time. Um, and, and that kind of became a guiding principle of your work as an artist. Yeah, yeah. I think. When did that happen? Because you didn't say that in grad school. No, I found it in grad school. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't, I wasn't actually able to articulate it, mm-hmm. I think, until then. I think it came out of, um, we had a, a really great professor, uh, Matt McGarvey, who was teaching art and ideas classes and uh, was teaching a class called The Room, an Autoproductive Place. And one of the like uh, foundations of the thinking for that class that kind of kicked it off was um, Althusser's uh, uh, reading of Marx or um, his theory of ideology, and that we're, we produce we're produced by the spaces that we're we're in, but we produce those spaces. So kind of once you realize that you produce the environment that produces you, then I mean to me that's like a very empowering sort of mm-hmm. revolutionary uh, understanding. Mm-hmm. And a part of that course, we all had to come up with a heuristic, and I just sort of drew on my background in martial arts, which made sense to me for many years after the Jehovah's Witness experience. Um, and these, uh, how we can generate power or be aware of power, um, both in our bodies and in our environment. And so 
we can talk about different ways that that happens, but like that. But that's a side I'm interested in. And to me, you know, if you're an artist and you're not interested in self-empowerment, you're barking up the wrong tree. Yeah, I mean, that's what's kept me at it for forever and will continue to. Mm -hmm. But to me, so much of it, the art game falls into um, trying to figure out why we can't do the things we can't do and then pointing fingers at the people responsible for that. Hmm. And to me, that's the opposite of what you're up to. Yeah. Uh, it's so, like, so obvious. It's, I, I have to take a step back mm. to think that people actually do that because I don't think that way. I think mm. um, power is available all the time mm. to me. Um, we're, I mean, gravity, like one of those forces we participate in all the time, that's a magnetic connection between our bodies and the center of the planet, you know, and going around the whole universe. It's um, once... Uh, it's 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 inescapable you know it's um and it's available uh it's um one of the drills that um i used to teach for many years too but uh, one of the first things i do to kind of make someone aware of the power that they have um is uh standing um facing the wall at about shoulder length apart uh sorry arms arms length from the wall Mm. and um, putting your hand out standing straight and just taking a step forward and keeping your arm rigid and locked and feeling all the force that you're pushing against the wall and it's pushing back at you, right? And understanding that it's the mass of your body that is creating that force in relationship to that wall. It's just simply stepping forward and you have all of that power and that feedback. And that's, that's I think that's like a an exciting kind of revelation. Mm-hmm. I think that that is probably um, a pretty good example of uh, every interaction we're going to have in the world, you know. So if that's available, then it's... Um, Do something with it. Yeah. yeah. It, it's. Is that the martial arts phase? That was the martial arts phase. So that was between... So Jehovah's like I could divide my I'm... life into thirds at this point. Like I'm in like the third <laughs> chapter of... Hopefully, like four or five, <laughs> but um, so yeah, this is like almost the first twenty years was martial art, or uh, Jehovah's Witness, mm-hmm. and then the, this next twenty was martial arts, and now hopefully, you know, I can do um, that. Ab- combined abrupt with... changes from one to the next, or they, s- gently sliding. The JW uh, <laughs> was abrupt, abrupt. Oh, yeah. and then I, oh. I haven't let go of martial arts stuff, but it got it, yeah. it too like started to get a little culty and religiony mm-hmm. for me, and. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, art was kind of coming in at the same time as, uh, martial arts. And then, um, I think that's taken a, definitely more of a front seat in the last few years and will continue to. So. The art side has. Yeah. You're listening to the people on K-Chung, 1630 AM. I'm Matthew Timmons. And I'm Ben White. Uh, you can listen to the people every third Sunday at 3 PM on K-Chung, 1630 AM or on the internet. And you can also find us on iTunes and Stitcher and SoundCloud and everywhere you find podcasts. Yeah, and we want to thank you for listening to the show. And if you like the show, uh, do us a favor and tell a friend. Yeah, thanks for listening. Tell the people about the people. (laughs) Come on, that was great. So we were talking about empowerment previously, and I just, Mm -hmm. um, I want to give you uh, a compliment, Um, you know, I, when I came out of the Art Institute, I never stopped making work. I ran an artist-run gallery for years, and um, it, I got in the game and knew the work that I needed to do in the game, but at some point, I lost my passion for the game. Not the passion to make, but just um, the social side of being an artist is really, um, I think, complicated and, and exhausting, but um, you... The first day of your seminar class, you reminded me of my passion for the game. And I think um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about it, it had to do with your uh, philosophy about um, experiencing work, writing about work, and sharing it with others. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Could you talk well, about I'm, that? I'm <laughs> glad I, I reignited your passion. That's. Uh, that's part of the goal. Um, yeah, so for me, um, like basically, why am I a critic and 
what do I do as a critic? What do I think I do as a critic? Um, just clarify questions that people have already yeah, asked. Um, <laughs> like just now. Yeah. yeah. So, um, <laughs> so I, I guess I'm looking for something I don't understand. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of a thrill junkie. I'm going out in the world to find something I don't yet know about. So I'm interested in in the otherness of the art, the, with the, the part that's not me, but I can uh, maybe can figure out and become bigger than me by getting to it. Um, so what I, I, I go out and I, I you know, throw myself before objects, before exhibitions, before, before installations, before um, time-based things, and just see what happens, and then pay attention to what's happening, and then try to figure out what that might mean. So the it, the experience has to be there. And then I kind of think of it as travel writing, where I it, the, the work takes me on a trip, and then I report back on that trip to readers and try to share my experience as clearly as possible and then convince them that that experience might be worth having and they should go check it out for themselves. Um, and that that's the ultimate goal uh, is that I want people to try new things on for themselves and I think that good things might happen then as in them becoming you know more civilized more um, more refined more insightful more more aware um, and I, I never think it's like me as an authority telling that what the work means or how important it is like this critic is some kind of gatekeeper I always think of it as um, me saying, um, this is how it is with me. Hey, reader, go check it out and see if it's like that with you. And, um, and, you know, and then share that with other people. So for me, it's always more of a starting a conversation than, than finishing one. Which is not the way. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, you, please. I was just going to say that is not the way that a lot of art criticism happens in the world. Yeah. The criticism I love to read most is the criticism that makes me see more than I would have seen on my own. So when I can, find something like that and it's just like wow my world is bigger because something that someone wrote about something that i saw too but didn't see it because i was too thick or not um perceptive enough and it's like wow and if you can you know sometimes the art will do that for me and it'll rearrange my relationship to the world and that's really really exciting and invigorating but other times writing can can do that. Well, it's like, yeah, we both went to the same show and you saw way more than I did. And now I see more. And I just can't stand the writing where it's just like, that's all you saw? It's like, just put your pen away. Or just, uh. <laughs> yeah, and I think that you just gave me the tingles again. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, especially I picked up on you when you said might mean, mm-hmm. you know, when you're offering what it might mean. And mm-hmm. even bringing that word might mm-hmm. into often, and I think this mirrors what maybe you were saying, Ben, is that um, the critic tells you what it means, mm-hmm. or at least that's the assumption. And that, that's yeah. been my experience. Yeah. And I think that, that starts to make it about um, a code that um, makes artwork for such a small amount of people for such a small experience. Yeah, yeah. And that's what started that, yeah. to take that passion away for me, is right. feeling like that was the game that we were playing. And that's not why I originally... Got decided involved. to make yeah. work yeah. so like that for me it was like yes this mm. is all right we're back in action this is yeah this that's is why like, that navel you know, gazing or that tempest yeah. in a teacup or that like making mountains out of molehills is just it's like just tedious to me and i yeah, think it's that, uninteresting yeah it's like, yeah. It's like if that's yeah. all you really care about I'll, I'll go to so many shows and look at and i think like you know the artist this is what they got up in the morning to do. It's like really, this is. It's, it's, I, I, you know, I might just be thick and missing it, but it looks like I want to get out of bed and do that. Right. Um, so I want something that, you know, has some ambition and has taken some chances and trying some things. I'd much prefer something that's falling way short of something impossibly ambitious, but trying it. It sounds like safe, painted out piece of turd on the wall. Totally. And there's a there's the other extreme, uh, and this is just maybe my take, but there's another extreme where it's overly diaristic, mm. where it's a little more about the about the credit the author, mm-hmm. him or herself, mm. uh, which I, I also think, find yeah, late, lately there's been it's so a big much thing, of yeah, that yeah, for sure. It's yeah. like 
well, just blog yourself. Is yeah. It, is, 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 I don't really care what, you, what kind of coffee you had. Like, yeah. it, doesn't, Ever, it doesn't really yeah, matter. Yeah. I do want you to tell me your experience, yeah. but maybe not that much. Well, and do something with your experience. Don't right. just have it. It's like, right. it's like, I can spill coffee in my lap, too. Right, but. not just create a personality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your writing reminds me a lot of uh, T.J. Clark. Are you a fan hmm. of T.J. Clark? He was a teacher of mine at... Um, at Harvard. Okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. The Sight of Death is one of my all-time mm. favorites. And it and it does that thing mm. where he is clearly uh, an expert, mm. but that is not the thrust of the writing. The thrust of the writing is like, I am sitting here looking at these two paintings for months, four months, whatever it was. Uh, and, and, and it's heavily diaristic. Yeah. Um, and it's... So that book does all the things that I would say out loud I don't like about art criticism, mm-hmm. but he does them exactly right. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a huge problem with art mm-hmm. criticism is that um, T.J. Clark is great at it, and the copycats aren't. And there's an army of them, and it's just you know worse than than death reading through that stuff. And it's just like, come on. And and the thing is, like you know, T.J. Clark, if like. He doesn't want copycats. It's like right. you got to figure out something and come with some kind of insight. And in his case, brilliant insights. And you know, and just like going through the motions is kind of this rote, crank it out, watered down Marxism is death. But it's to get you tenure somewhere. So we were saying a little bit off mic, <laughs> thinking about uh, earlier, thinking about who you know you're writing for, what your who your mm-hmm. audience might be, and what you might be bringing to them. Yeah, I, I love writing for the newspaper because it it's a it can be a, a regular audience. It's not art specialist. Uh, you know, um, to me, publications like Art Forum and and such are trade publications. Like if you're a dentist, you read the Dentist Quarterly. You know, great um, magazine. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. It, you need to know that that stuff. <laughs> yeah. But it really is like you know how to do fillings and things like that and the new yeah. stuff to clean gums and i think art form is a lot like that and i i love writing for um you know amateurs and lay people and, and non-specialists because i think that um you can actually get to bigger issues with with some of those that audience um and it, there's so much to me elitism in the art world and it's kind of gatekeeping behavior and keeping people out to show that you're smarter than them. And mm-hmm. I just have no interest in, in that at all. I think it's like we're living in a time where it's increasingly fragmented and increasingly isolated and increasingly atomized. And if you can't get some kind of commonness with other f- people and other groups, we're, we're doomed as a species. Uh, yeah. So I'm much more interested in finding links and similarities between groups than or in between individuals, like just if starting, starting with like, you know, you go to a show and you love something and you want to find someone else that loves that something because mm-hmm. then you might love them too um, or have a drink with them. Um, yeah. But it's, it's, it's building that, building connections rather than, um, you know, just so much is like, just like, I'm going to show you how much smarter I am than you are. And it's like, oh, please. Like, cool, you know, whatever. Right. And lately, yeah. <laughs> lately I've been writing for this, um, magazine in in china and it, when i started doing it i kind of did it as a, as a favor it's they you know i was there they asked me i said sure and then usually you go home and think well screw that it's far away they'll never know and it doesn't pay much but uh it was actually really really fun and satisfying because of the tra- the way it would get translated and you have to really boil things down to the basics so for me it was even like m- a more intense version of what goes on in the paper and i think i love the Newspaper because I think it's it's really hard to say complex things in a simple way, and I try to do that or try to say nuanced things in a, in a clear way. And I think it's really easy to say simple things in a complicated way. Um, but the, with the Chinese translation, you, it gets it gets to the basics of things, hmm. um, and because that's one of the things I loved about the studio visit with you, Ian, where it was, um, you know, garb. Uh, Maybe it wasn't garbage to you, but it sure looked like garbage to me. And the way you were uh, you know, dealing with all that stuff, and it seemed to me that there was this kind of radical, radically democratic way you dealt with um, the kind of the star of the show or the finished piece and the, 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 the things that spun out of that or that were used to make that and the things that piled up on the way there. And there was a much more of a kind of a, a chorus of different levels of stuff speaking to each other. 
Um, I'm glad you bring up uh, democratic. I think it's a good term for um, also my, and we were talking about authority before too. Like um, I kind of consider myself one of many players in making this. And we talked about like mm, other agents like gravity or the air in the room or the space and the configuration, the architecture itself. Um, those things I actually give a tremendous amount of weight to. I mean, I'm, of course, I'm the author. I'm making the things in the room. I devise the system. But I'm really trying to um, trip that up as much as possible or try and maybe even shrink that capital A to a lowercase a, an author, you know, um, to um, suggest that democracy may not be limited to just people, mm -hmm. right? That it can be opened up to um, things, space, um, yeah, everything. The, the environment, the yeah. built environment, the environment that is out there. Yeah, yeah. and environment's like a key word, right? And like, yeah, that's, that, that, I think that kind of goes with a sense of what I was trying to get at when I said um, what it might mean. Because to me, when I'm following works or following art or you know, trying to pursue the the insights, it's um, it's I don't know, and I'm not in charge of where that's that's going. And to me, that's kind of like what you're doing in the work, where you're not the, uh, you know, it's not the grand authoritarian, authoritative final gesture. It's it's kind of like you noodling around, digging around, composting, digging through the stuff, rooting it about, and, and mashing it together, and then and seeing what happens. Is that? Yeah, and uh, you know, I don't want to make it sound like it's it's purely and that there's anything wrong with it being a purely process-based practice mm -hmm. because um, I am part of what helps me make decisions between these different phases of this ecology we talked about where it goes from one you know one kind of system to another system is aesthetics uh, you know I need it to be mm -hmm. to both embody what I'm doing in, in these processes but also to um, in how whatever I deem it to be interesting enough to want to spend time with you know, as a viewer, um, I still believe in that hook, you know, and, and I like that for myself when I go see work. Um, I think that, um, so I'll, you know, part of what's happening um, is that it, it, these peripheral systems will aggregate to a point, you know, once I kind of churn that bin when we go to the next stage, I'll start to pull things out and look at them. And if, you know, these five things are kind of laid on top of each other and then I, I pull them out and look at them, Maybe one of them gets pulled out, and that's that's a discrete piece that kind of um, I think can uh, stand in or or be an example of um, what's something happening. worth yeah. looking at. And, and then about the that. other four can kind of go back into the the mulch, the mulch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but you you guys are talking about the mulch and the composting, <laughs> but but give me a sense of like what is. I mean, I, I assume there's kind of in-between phases. Yes. You know, what gets tacked up on the wall? What get, You know, what do these things look like, feel like? Let me describe a couple of phases and with the materials, and maybe that'll help. Um, so uh, one of the big formal factors that I start with all the time is the grid, right? And I'll make these nets. I'll make actual, like, dumb grids in the space out of uh, plastic or... Um, actually store-bought um, screens or uh, landscape um, uh, netting. And um, what I'm looking for is uh, to kind of prompt them to respond to their environment. And they're, they're essentially stencils that kind of record, or, you know, um, all this activity that's taken place over time. Mm -hmm. Like all that stuff goes into these gabion baskets, and then those get reconfigured. Um, into structures. Um, uh, the next phase is taking things that are in the gabion baskets and grinding them up and um, making uh, lumber material for the next set of... Um, literally grist for the mill, yeah, huh? Yeah, literally grist for the mill. So, so, I mean, in a way, these the, the nets, I mean, are, are kind of... You were talking earlier about collecting all, you know, the way that things come into your life. And I'm sorry, your quote was recognizing the forces that... Yeah, looking to feel the forces or that we feel, participate in all yeah. the time. And so when you're kind of doing a drop, literally feeling that force of gravi gravity and then 
registering that moment with this layer of pigment. So these like kind of processual steps are, you know, are, are signaling these kind of larger moments in recognizing these forces that are that are making this this world that you're participating in, right? Yeah, and the participation is the key factor, I think, because um, what I'm really setting out to do with the initial structure is, is introduce um, an artificial structure that will um, interact with the environment to reveal another structure, mm -hmm. something that I can't just pull out of. Well, I'm trying to pull it out of thin you're, air, you're, I guess. You are. <laughs> guess you're I'm dropping playing, it out yeah. into thin air. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but it's it's setting up that participation between an imposed structure that um, and, and what's actually happening in the space, like these other kind of systems. So. It's a kind of like a Home Depot version of support surface. You're listening to The People on K-Chung, 1630 AM. I'm Ben White. And I'm Matthew Timmons. You can find the people wherever you find podcasts. Like, everywhere. Seriously. And if you're listening to this right now, I want to thank you very much for listening to the show. And I want to implore you to tell a friend about it. Yeah, tell a friend. It really helps us out. Uh, and now, let's get back to our conversation with David Pagel and Ian Muirhead. As you were talking about, David, um, audience that you're, you're writing for and how you're trying to... Um, uh, bring people that um, the public to work mm -hmm. and uh, empower them to have their own experience. Um, I, you know, one of the privileges I had of, um, being on the student side of that with you was um, how that works in the studio too. And um, it's one of the things that drew me to Claremont was that um, I didn't have to know what I was doing before I did it mm -hmm. and that um, I could trust the uh, the the process mm -hmm. and that um, that would be revealed over time whether it was through the dialogue with faculty or just to myself mm -hmm. which I rely on now um, that was very different from my previous experience making work mm -hmm. and um, I was wondering what your thoughts were, and I think we may have discussed this in the past, but I'm not remembering, um, about intuition. Mm -hmm. um, because it's a maligned term, I think, um, maybe these days as an artist. Definitely, yeah. Um, yeah. So mm -hmm. maybe you could run with that. Yeah, it, that what you said first, you know, I, I totally believe in that you, um, you don't have to know what you're doing when you're starting out in the studio. That it's... Um, and in fact, I think if, if you know exactly what you're going to do, it, you know, a piece from start to finish, it's probably not going to be very interesting. And I'm really glad you brought up trust. Um, because I think the, um, and this gets back, to, kind of loops way back to criticality. I'm a big fan of um, um, rationality, logic, argumentation, um, making, making sense of things. Um, and, and you know, and um, self-reflection and, and self-criticism and self-awareness, but I think that that side often tips over into being suspicious of everything and being skeptical of everything, and um, doubting everything, um, and then you know, taking apart everything before it happens. And I think that I, um, I think you can you can be self-critical, but you can also trust things. And I think the trust side has been been overlooked for a long time. And I think another way of putting it is like. You know, after a while, I start to have my doubts about doubt that it isn't, it, it isn't all anything that works a hundred percent of the time, or isn't anything that becomes an absolute as scary to me. Going back to your early religious stuff, or any you know any complete enclosed system. Um, so I think that that you know if I've never trusted a work too much and been burned by it. Yeah. Well, uh, wait. Uh, Maybe I have, um, <laughs> but it's <laughs> rare. <laughs> but then I, you know, but then the critical side comes over. But it's more, far more often. Do you, uh, you know, don't give it enough, don't give it anything, and, and miss out on things. I think that's the the greater, the greater danger. Yeah, and I think that missing out on the making side too. You know, if you, I think it's okay to start with some kind of plan, but you know, oh, yeah, when it's, it's so mm -hmm. rigid to where you feel like you can't deviate from that, and you have to execute according to the, you know. Um, 
the original plan, I think you also miss out on what can happen in that in that um, the sort of intelligence of making. Yeah, like, and, you know, and that's not just art. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. if you talk to any scientist doing research, any social scientist doing work, you, there's if there's no room for discovery in the setup, it's gonna you know the discoveries won't happen. And I think that that's been squeezed out of a lot of art making, especially in graduate schools where you have to you you know you have to defend everything you do before you do it and as you do it. And I think that it's like, it's not a bad position to be in where you you, you kind of don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know after a while you better figure it out, but you don't need to know everything before, during, and and after you do it. It's and it, I think it's a big cycle where you're like a lot of it is kind of animal activity and human activity and manual activity and then there's the you know intellectual activity reflective activity but it can't just be the the one or the the other and there was a an intuition i think yeah it often gets made to like oh don't intuitions for morons um i'm a cultivated smart thinker i think you you actually cultivating one's intuitions is about the most impressive thing and sophisticated thing and human thing you can do and that our intuitions are cultivated it's not like you you know, no one likes cognac as a baby, but after a while it gets good. Those are you're cultivating your taste, um, and I think intuitions are kind of like that. You they're not this thing that's just like oh I just wanted it or oh, I just knew it. It's like you know the the people with sophisticated ones are, are pretty interesting to be around. Yeah, it functions like a sixth sense, mm-hmm. I think, where all mm-hmm. the other senses are working together in a mm-hmm. way that. You know, maybe the front brain hasn't figured out. Mm-hmm. You know, but if you trust it, and um, it, you can figure it, mm-hmm. it, it. Usually, I I've found will reveal itself later. You know, yeah, the oh, reason that, why. Yeah, that's a, I know? should put it like. So yeah, I have been burned trusting art too much, and then going back and like, well, that actually was shit, and I shouldn't have um, given it so much of uh, my my energy and love. But I've never um, been burned by not trusting. Um, you know my intuitions when I'm writing, and it's not. It's you know the ideas that they come. The best ideas I don't go find them or I don't make them up or I don't wrestle them into existence. They just kind of come out of nowhere, you know, un, unbidden. And and if you can't trust that process, I think you're at a great disadvantage for for learning anything new. Yeah, and I think that the work that comes out of that um, definitely functions more like a prompt as opposed to a prop, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And like with a prompt, what I love about that is that um, not only does it uh, cause a sort of intellectual sort of question, Mm -hmm. but it's a physical thing where you're sort of pushed. So Mm -hmm. you get hit with both, Mm -hmm. which you've talked about. like. um, Well, and and a prompt, it's generative. Like it sparks ideas. Whereas if it's a prop, it's like, oh, look at that dead thing sitting in the corner. Mm -hmm. We have to get the cameras going for anything to happen. But with a Or no, here's what it means. Don't you know? Yeah. 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 No, meaning is overrated. <laughs> really? <laughs> Go <Absolutely>. on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, I mean, I think uh, there's so much in that world. There's so much premature meaning, right. um, and it's and, and and I think it happens with a lot of the like, so, you know supposedly political work where it's like the maker has these intentions for the object, and they're really great intentions. But to me, the work doesn't count until it's out there in the world. Doing things to people, affecting people, people responding to, people arguing about, people caring about, and I don't think that there's, you know, in in school most of the time that hasn't happened with any of the work because it's still in the goddamn studio. It hasn't even been in a in a show, and then people talk about it like as if the intentions are everything. And I'm just I I, I want to see what a work does with an audience before it it counts. Uh, you know, the the road to hell is paved with good intentions, and I think that so much of Critical, you know, critical discourse around art is, is based on those intentions, not actually what the s- materials are doing, what the, the the nitty gritty materiality of it is doing. And I think that's what you're doing in your work. You're, in a, don't take this the wrong way, but I think you know the stuff you're working with is smarter than you, and it's um, and that it's your job as kind of the, uh, you know, the the ringmaster of the not even the ringmaster, the kind of the participant in that stuff is to to see what it's doing and coax the conversation out of it. I think that's a, a sign of someone who's doing good work is someone who's working with material that's smarter than them. You know, I mean, that's a... Let's I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I definitely, um, I think one of the biggest assets in the studio is a sense of humility. 
like trying to like slow down and give things the time they need to reveal, you know, and that's not always passive. It's active too. You know, it's, it's, I've been thinking about speed traps lately, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like Like traffic and speed, like traffic, (laughs) speed traps and like works functioning that way, you know? But yeah, going along with the the speed traps, I think we're at a time where, <laughs> you know, we want to, you know, know everything now, and there's no waiting, and there's there's a sense that is like, you know, you, you can't say I don't know without people thinking you're an idiot. Why would right. I listen to you? Right. And I think it's like that's step one for making interesting work is you got to start with like, well, I don't know. Let's see what happens. And to me, the speed trap, or what I picture you said it is like, work that's just like just like capture your attention. You're you're it's. You're trapped because you're you're going too fast. Uh, I was thinking about it. What you mean? The viewer was going too fast, mm-hmm. and they didn't. Su- yeah. yeah, and I think that and this also came up for me um, when you were talking about um, uh, writing. Um, do you have in mind? And this has to do with like how we assimilate information in such a, a, a fast way. Do you have in mind that the viewers are actually going to go see the work, or they're going to just pull it up on their um, smartphone, you know. I never pictured a phone. <laughs> but that's that was one of the things I was struck by, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. so much. And and now, like even in conversation yeah, my, with yeah. artists, like they'll just pull up yeah. images. Yeah. But like this, yeah, I'm I know also, this is probably I'm, bigger yeah. than the the end here. But mm. like, um, is this? Uh, it has to do with being in the studio and being with the work and being with uh, the, in the same space as work. Yeah. Um, like interacting with the physicality of the piece. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and also Good. the... F- going to the show. Right. Yeah, and I think I'm writing as a go-see-the-show yeah. kind of writing, and that may be dying. No, please do that. <laughs> keep doing no, it. I'm, yeah. I'm going to keep doing it. Keep but, doing it, yeah. yeah. Um, but I, you know, I think fewer and fewer people go to the shows, I and, and I think fewer and fewer people pay attention to what people say about the shows. Um, mm. But I still get off on doing that and and i actually think that that you know in our increasingly atomized screen individual pod world that the uh, the physical space of the gallery and the publicness of it is really really important and it, there's those are still you know it's a commercial gallery or it's uh, but a lot of you know the museums aren't um commercial places but they're they're accessible and available and there's a there's a publicness to them that i really Care about, and I really care about the the public life of objects, and I think that art fairs are evil because the uh, artists make individual pieces for them. They go to a really elite setting. They're up for like ninety six hours, and then they're put in a crate and stored in someone's um, storage collection. And I and I um, I came of age as a writer where. Um, Artists would make exhibitions in their hometown and have shows, and people would show up and, and talk about them. And I still think that that's an important, um, you know, if shrinking role. I don't think numbers are the most important thing. And I like that there's this kind of, you know, maybe it's becoming more of an underground. It's weird to think of the LA Times as an underground, but it's a, you know, a fraction of what it what it used to be. But I think those spaces are really important. I I care about that stuff a lot, and I think that. You know, if that goes away, we do lose a lot. Yeah, and I care about that as a maker too. In the you know, in the studio, I can't imagine. I mean, that's when I when I brought up the term speed trap. I'm talking about trying to make something that is an experience of stopping. Mm. Um, uh, oh, flypaper art. <laughs> that's another thing to put in the compost bin. Um, and this was a, a goal back having a, an artist-run space too. Is like trying to trying to put work in the world in spaces that people need to go see. Mm-hmm. You know that, but it's just it's been a while since then, and I just am thinking a lot about just how work is consumed, and yeah. it's really. Um, it challenges my optimism. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there's yeah. a pretty vibrant community in L.A. At least yeah. of, yeah. of yeah. artist-run yeah. spaces and yeah. and some mid-level yeah. galleries finally and mm-hmm. some upper-level galleries and museums where 
it's people actually go see it yeah. and, look at it public, and, and talk yeah. about it. Yeah, there's yeah. A, and it's yeah, inextricable yeah. from being in the art world. Right. Those are the same things. Like mm-hmm. go, they are the exact same thing. Being an artist, being in the art world, uh, is going to those things, mm-hmm. being present. Mm-hmm. Sometimes to one's detriment, but mm-hmm. it's still a thing. I think here, anyway, right? Yeah, yeah. And we, you know, we sort of—I don't know how much Absolutely. time we have left, but we opened. We have plenty of time. Mm-hmm. Go for oh, it. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, like, you know, that kind of touches on. We opened with like, what? What was the question? It was, um, why do? Why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? Yeah, and I think that touches on one of the values of you know a handful that I uh, that sort of guide me in doing what I do and it's it, strangely it's community mm. you know I mean making work is often a very um, uh, introspective or isolated isolated mm-hmm. activity yeah. yeah and a lot of artists myself included are um, introverts mm. you know and, and it's where we get our energy from yeah. being in the studio but community is so important and I think that, that what you're talking about is socializing the work and having it out um, in the world for dialogue discussion like that's that's a huge part it's huge and it's sometimes strangely at odds with the making but yeah i don't think it's at odds i think that the the making part often is a really isolated individualist introspective slow torturous all by yourself process and project but then you uh, you put the art out in the world and other people come to it i think it's a similar thing with my writing I don't write it just for me, but I have to write it all by myself. But then I want to publish it and have people read it and respond to it. So that deep interiority is then publicized and public and and offered up for like for criticism and and response mm-hmm. and argument. And I think that that that's that you have to have those two things. And I think now we're in this kind of mushy moment where they're all kind of Everything is running together, where it's like, well, I'm not, I'm a I'm a critic, and I'm also a curator, and I'm an artist, and I'm running, and it's like, it's like, well, it's a painting and a sculpture, and it's just like, <laughs> and I like the distance between things. It's like, no, you made it, you're the artist, I'm the critic, I'm going to talk about it, the reader's going to read it, and there's space between all of us, and part of the power of the conversation comes out of that difference and that space and that otherness we're not no we're not all the same and and everyone has different views and that's good and i think when it all just gets mushed into like culture it's just like this morass of of bad entertainment yeah but i also think i agree with a lot of what you're saying but i think that you know as somebody who's worn a lot of hats um um there some of those come out of necessity right like um no i'm making an argument for the power of different hats keeping or, them different then. yeah well yeah, i'm i'm yeah. kind of oh, making an argument for mushiness i do find yeah. it problematic i think um, i think the 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 different hats it's like the the reality that we can switch them out everyone i mean i think a lot of artists writers curators critics video mm-hmm. makers and that's just one person, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. they take different moments. And, and, and I think there is yeah. still like, you know, you're doing this thing now and then you don't wear all the hats at once. No, right? but yeah. but it is true. I think that like when you're doing the, you know, artist run space, it's not like you then go into your studio or, you know, open up your laptop later and that's not somehow present. And mm-hmm. it, it does kind of it can those different things can bring different insights yeah, yeah to yeah. yeah yeah as long as they stay different <laughs> yeah, <it's, laughs> it is pretty schizophrenic existence though yeah. when you're trying to do a bunch of them at once it's yeah. true yeah. It's, but yeah. in another way not so yeah. much when you realize not to not to bring all those things together but not so much when you realize that they're all related in a way you right know? oh they yeah part of the same ecology right yeah. yeah well when you bring it up in that way it sounds like um it can be environmental art or like deal with these kinds mm-hmm. of politics. And I, I go back to um, the idea of the prompt. I mean, it, I think, we, and we've talked about mm-hmm. this, but it's a social possibility, not a social responsibility. Mm-hmm. Nice. You know, yeah. um, it's uh, the politics of the work is the experience of the work. And then those things, those conversations can come out of it, but I don't think it's my mission to make environmental art, you know, um, I think that's much better served by um, 
the the community that does do those protests and mm-hmm. the lawyers that work on behalf mm-hmm. of that. But um, if those conversations mm-hmm. can come up, that's fantastic. I think that's one possibility for the work. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I like I like the idea you know, of of the work generating an experience, and then the, that experience has social and political implications. Yeah, not the work instantly being political and it's kind of a game over oh you're on the right side and check off the box yeah yeah and well, i think that those experiences your work generates like um you know kind of acknowledge the value of individuals or not and the, or uh, you know invites this kind of behavior or not and to me the politics of it or the consequence of it build out of the way it treats people and what it does with people rather than what it kind of sits back and tells people. David Pagel and Ian Muirhead, thanks for being on The People. Thanks, guys. Thank you guys Thank so you. much. Thanks for having us. You've been listening to The People on K-Chung, 1630 AM. I'm Matthew Timmons. And I'm Ben White. Remember, if you like the show, you can find us on K-Chung every third Sunday at 3 p.m. Or you can listen to us anywhere where you get your podcast, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, all that stuff. Uh, and most importantly, uh, if you like the show, tell a friend. Hey, our interstitial music, as always, is Ock Fifth by Lewis Keller. It's a really good jam. We like it very much. We love it very much. And we're going to go out with a song from L.A. musician Annie McQueen, who I met at the Buckhorn campsite in Angeles National Forest a couple years ago. Uh, And we're going to listen to a single of hers from February of this year. And you can find it on Bandcamp at amqmusic.bandcamp.com. And the name of the track is Someday, parentheses, Ain't Ever Gonna Come. Honey, you grew on me, became a part of all my dreams And someday you and me would have it all But that someday ain't never gonna come No, that someday ain't ever gonna come Last time that I saw you under lights, we both knew that we had hit the end. Now that glitter turned to dust, and what we are ain't what it was. Now that someday ain't ever gonna come. Thank you.
dreaming of us back at the beginning. We can go to Austin.